In discussion, unpack sustainability in the textile industry, following the cotton supply chain through Gujarat and Maharashtra in India, across the world to China. Discussing issues in the field with Indian farmers, local artisans and international fashion houses, from fibre to fabric to fashion. In India, most traditional craft skills are practiced within and for the community. Talking to local kutch weaver Shamji Vankar in our episode on artisan craft, he explained that 80% of his textiles stay in India and a quarter in the immediate locality. However, these traditional crafts are continually threatened by global market demand and mass mechanization. People who are in the Shrujan workshop are Shrujan employees. The ladies who create these beautiful embroideries work from home. And I asked them, why not here? And they said that this is how it's been done through the ages. These crafts are born at home in their communities. They grow in their communities. If you try to take that craft out of the home into of any sort of workplace, it won't be the same. Shrujan is a non-profit organization in Kutch which supports community-based artisans by connecting them to local and international markets. In 2016, they opened a cultural museum, the Living, Learning and Design Centre, to train craftspeople and teach locals and tourists about Kutch's cultural heritage through rotating exhibitions. And their mission and objective was to give, provide livelihood to this artisan, not to earn profit, was to retrieve this craft and to support the artisan of embroidery in Kutch district. So, as of today, you can see there are more than 100 villages and more than 4,000 artisans who are receiving livelihood by sitting at home, by doing this embroidery work. Dilip raises an important point here about the value of reconnecting people and craft. More than cultural revival alone, promoting traditional crafts facilitates local and rural empowerment of artisans within the community. Marrying culture and commerce thus enables traditions to live on, while stimulating local economic and social prosperity. Okai is another non-profit which links artisans to new global markets through online retail. Reaching over 170,000 international customers, the social enterprise has been able to boost artisans' wages by 137% since last year alone, as Kirti Punya explains. So we work across the country, we manufacture, we design, we um, then retail online on our own website. Um, the key focus is livelihood for artisans, so the real focus is that they should be making a certain amount of money every month and that there should be a certain number of women that we should be impacting in certain kinds of crafts that are, have, the endi- have the danger of dying. We make Indian wear because we are in India and trust me, uh, kurtas and block prints sell like hotcakes. Yet, local empowerment isn't just an initiative of the non-profits. We visited Indian Fashion House of Anita Dongre in Mumbai. Alongside in-house manufacturing, the company provides local employment for over 200 skilled artisans under the Grassroot Initiative. They have also given tailoring training, materials provided for a further 200 unskilled women. After a market quality check, these products are sold under Anita Dongre's global Desi brand, as Divang and Sangeeta explain. So this is her philosophy on economic empowerment of women. Our focus is rural India and we need to provide gainful, sustained livelihood opportunities to village women without they having to migrate to urban areas, live in slums. And under this Women Empowerment Initiative, we set up small factories in villages. These are called community tailoring, 
training and production centers. You set up a center, you skill them there, and thereafter they get job opportunities there. One can't just train them and lead them because in the villages there is no source of income. Where are they going to get the orders from? So they are going to learn it and then do nothing with it. We are going that one step ahead where after skilling them, we are providing them work opportunity. And we are training them to make garments, we ask them to manufacture our garments for us, which goes to our stores. So the garments go to our stores with a little tag saying that they are made, by, made in the villages of Maharashtra and we are empowering these women, etc. But long term, yes, we would be very glad to invite a lot of other people from the industry also to give them work. We don't want them to be 100% dependent on us. In fact, we want them to be as independent as possible. We want them to be in a position to negotiate rates, to take the orders that they want from other industry players. And the house for Anita Dongre isn't alone. Bihiko also provides training and employment for female hand-loom artisans looking to innovate with hemp-based products. You can find out more about hemp in our episode on environmental sustainability. These initiatives boost women's skills and income, and also their agency. Malsami furthers that economic emancipation contributes to social emancipation within rural communities, as women gain increased self and social respect. They are feeling more confident because they can earn and they can spend for their families. They are making a real difference to their families. The children are going to better schools now. Women there are empowered, they have enhanced respect in the society. The dignity of the women has gone up. They are getting, they are having more self-confidence. They are also involved in decision-making in the family as well as socially. Though some opposition from male community leaders is inevitable, this can be navigated. The organisation involves the entire community in decision-making, and on seeing the economic benefit of mobilising female artisans, Musami highlights that community leaders are easily persuaded to take part. So we involve the whole Gramachal body uh, while making the discussion. So before we start up a centre, the whole village knows about what the initiative is, what it's going to be. Yeah, at micro level, maybe uh, one or two men would not like their wives to work. It happened in Chagroti also and in Jawar also. But when we speak to them personally, we invite them to the centre, we show them the centre, how it functions, they are convinced. However, after spending most of the week with Gujarati artisans, we found ourselves left with challenging questions. Artisanship and family unity are closely intertwined. The Rural Artisans Company is their family, their workplace the community. Labour division is defined by functional, socialised family roles, Women practice easily put down crafts, like embroidery, to balance with the demands of childcare and housekeeping. If there's any, any plans store, would there be any programs to encourage women to get into tailoring? Uh, no such kind of things, because they are only interested in doing embroidery. We are also interested in promoting more crafts of Kutch. We have 18 types of crafts yes. in Kutch. Embroidery is one of them. We have Bandini, we have Ajrak, many other kinds of crafts are there in Kutch. And we are going to promote that artisan also in future. Of the women that you um, employ to do the embroidery, are they mostly married or? Yeah, married also and unmarried also. And this transformation is going on. When daughter gets married and she goes, daughter-in-law comes, she starts doing. So that process is continuously going on. Women provide the manpower behind this, but it seems to be very much at the top by men. Yeah, I have. I sort of picked up on that, and unfortunately, he's sort of um, 
skirted around my question. So what I was asking is, um, he claims that the women aren't interested in working outside the home, that they want to do the embroidery. And whilst I appreciate that this is an excellent opportunity and if you empower women, you empower the community, is, is obvious from the question that he answered. But at the same time, if you have this cycle of the women teaching their children the embroidery so that they can earn a living in the home, you're also keeping them in the home and it is a bit of a cycle, albeit it's still an empowering one and it is better than not having their own private income or a supporting income so that they can uh, pay for their education. Debates arose with farmers, artisans and entrepreneurs and between the students concerning the gender division of labour. 80% of garment workers are women and the international fashion industry is dependent on women working from home. But do these local empowerment initiatives, like those employed by the House of Anita Dongre, actually empower women, or simply reproduce gendered hierarchies by encouraging women to work from home? We encourage the women to work from their homes. We discourage them to, from coming to the city and working over here. We take the work to the villages and provide them work. So Seva is this organization who distributes the embroidery. Then we work with Bandini, which is done in Burj. We work with Chicken Kari, which is done in Lucknow. Then we went to Shrujan, for example. Yeah. We found that these cycles of liberation, so in emancipating women to take part in these industries, they can also be quite trapping because they're often not allowed to progress in these careers or it's assumed that they don't want to move on. I just wondered what your thoughts were on that in terms of what you've just said about kind of discouraging women. What, what I meant to say is that we wouldn't want all the women to leave their homes, their children and migrate to the city. Our cities are bursting at the seams. So what we, what we are trying to do is encourage them to have livelihood, to empower them within their own location. Okay, so you provide them work, you empower them, they have livelihood, they make money, they make income, they make income, they send their children to better schools, they have better education, better medical facility. Do you have any opportunities for women in those villages to come and work within, in a supervisor role, in a higher up design role? In a I'm coming role? to that, I'm coming to that. Okay. The issues are really what is wrong with being at home. It's the idea that they may not have more opportunities to leave the home if they want to. So there could be a fine line we have to walk there to see if they do want to have more opportunities to go home or to leave the home or maybe work from home. And as long as they have the choice to do so, then it's okay. Responding to Cap, no one's saying they shouldn't have opportunities, but what we're saying is that the culture is so nuanced and the way that they operate is so complex that in no way will change come from us. It has to fully come from women in these families, in these communities, deciding for themselves, this isn't something I want, and then it's going to be a really gradual, really slow change. Everything you've just said I completely not agree with. I don't think it's about criticizing and saying, or it's better to live in the city, or it's better to work outside of home. I think it's just really important that you should be able to question in an attempt to understand. Okay, so you live in the home, so why are you living in the home? Like, why, why is that really, really important to you? Because from my perspective, I obviously want to go out and work and stuff. So in order to understand those things, I'm gonna to have to question those things. This idea of culture and tradition and the Western standard and all these kind of ideas, I think they in some ways can function to close down discussion when there should be opening up discussion. You can almost say that you're reimposing another Western standard if you aren't allowed to discuss things because you're saying, oh, we almost can't talk about these things because 
It's insulting. You're using the Western standards to impose another Western standard. It's also quite Orientalist to suggest that we can never understand this complex set of cultures. Yes, because we're not living it, we're never going to have that full and deep understanding. But without questioning, how are we going to learn? And if we can't talk about it, why are we here? It is really important that we are asking questions and that we are making an effort to understand. But sometimes it can feel like we've expected a certain answer from them, that they are unhappy about something or that they do want to change something. And then when facts contradict that or actual voices contradict that, we kind of reframe it over again to get back to the same answer that we want to hear. We firstly debated questions of paternalism, agency, exploitation, and even the very concept of sustainability in the textile value chain. Challenging our own contextually informed perspectives and assumptions, we found the basic dilemma to be between imposing our own standards on other communities and using local culture as an excuse to deny change. Our perspective on feminism and like liberating yourself and having work is quite different because if you don't like how your family operates, you can just leave and go to and go to your workplace. But for them, their workplace is their family. So they can't really cut ties or completely change their tradition. The underlying assumption behind all of this is that there is a fundamental difference almost between East and West. We're constantly functioning in this idea of a comparison between the West has a company, the East has the family. Are we justified in using these as separate concepts? There's a lot of talk of what the West does to the East, but what actually is the West and what actually is the East. India, as an example, has been trading with Europe for centuries and centuries. It's not a one-way shift, it's not a two-way shift, it's much more nuanced, the connections are much more complicated. Why are we using this distinction, and is that distinction even there in the first place? Yeah, and like, because we're completely linked like, through the supply chain with what's going on, like, we're involved in this issue ourselves by being the consumers, so trying to stop putting people into boxes I think will help us to understand what we're dealing with better. If our value hierarchies differ between contexts and cultures, then certainly so will our understandings of emancipation. Nevertheless, it became clear that promoting self-empowerment amongst female artisans ultimately empowers the community as a whole. These women are not our employees. They collect, they form a women's self-help group. They'll have their own governance structure. And the idea is that in the long term, we want these centres to be self-sustaining. So right now we are supporting them, hand-holding them with some business opportunity. But one to two years down, once the centre is established, they should develop those skills of marketing. They should make their own branded products as well. And maybe other brands like say a W or a Biba or a Zara can also make their garments there. And you would be more than welcome and encourage them to see that their income goes up. So it's not a self-serving that you know we are developing vendors for us. We are developing maybe vendors for the fashion industry as well. Agency is certainly at the centre of this issue. Local empowerment initiatives can avoid reproducing repressive power hierarchies by promoting capacity building and creative independence, not dictating colours and patterns, for instance. As opportunities for all genders outside of rural communities have increased, facilitating choice has become even more important. Bandani artisans in Bouge, Abdullah and Abdeljabar, emphasise the benefits of young people getting educated before returning to the craft. So my father has concerned that you have to finish your study first, then whatever you want to do, you can do it. We had a freedom, whatever you want to do, you do. So we choose this. And so do you, either of you have children? Yes, I have uh, three. My, I have twin daughters and one son. He has three daughters 
and one son. And would you like to see one or more of them taken of course. over the family business? Of course. We wish. We will, like you, will you, will you <laughs> give them the But it, it is up to them. It is up to yeah. them. Because nowadays, you know, uh, uh, all the new journalists are getting the education. Right. Some can uh, join us, some can go any other lines. It's up to them. For me, is like uh, when you are getting education, it's actually benefit your craft. Well, if you are educated, then you can do better work in this uh, craft sector. And I think for both of us, it also help a lot to like increase or like expose our craft in in the international level. What the brothers say here is really interesting. Young people who pursue an education and return to their communities can actually revitalize local crafts. For instance, with new business knowledge, choice and new opportunities need not threaten traditional practice and community culture. In fact, it can strengthen these connections for the future. More than mere environmental friendliness, sustainability demands environmental, economic and cultural attention. An interdisciplinary, intercultural approach is essential to rethinking this industry. In our other episodes, you can learn more about the range of issues related to textile sustainability and the Focus India project. <laughs>